Well, you've made it. This is the very last Sunday of marriage advice. And the men said, amen. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe they're like, hey, that's great. Can we do two more weeks? Anyone? Two? No. Okay. So we've been stepping through this, uh, this idea of there's some great advice that we can take in our relationships that will help those relationships to be stronger, for those relationships to be something more than what maybe they have been. So we've been stepping through great advice, and the problem is, as people, we always want that hot fix. We always want that one thing, that quick answer, that cheat sheet that's going to give us everything that we want with no sweat off our backs, right? And that's really what we want. We want it easy. But here's the thing. It's not easy because every single one of us have this box of hopes and dreams and desires, and we carry that box around, and when we finally find the person that, that we want to spend the rest of our life with, at the altar, we hand them this box, and we say, here, these are all my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. Make them happen. The problem is those hopes, dreams, and desires then feel more like expectations, and in a relationship, expectations create a debt-debtor relationship where you owe me because that's what a husband is supposed to do. You owe me because that's what wives do. You owe me because that's what a man is supposed to do. You, that's what a woman's supposed to do. And that debt-debtor relationship makes it absolutely impossible for us to recognize and to receive love. Expectations make what should be enjoyable transactional. It makes that relationship the one that you had hoped for all of your young life, that one relationship, that person that you would find, that you would spend the rest of your life with, that, that most enjoyable, this is my best friend, as all the napkins say, my, today I married my best friend, right? It makes that relationship to be one that is transactional, and let me tell you, transactional, it's miserable because the best negotiator wins. The one that can make the biggest point or the loudest point or the longest point wins. And when I win, we loses. But we still bring all of our hopes, dreams, and desires into every relationship, and it's unavoidable. But see, the trouble is most of our hopes, dreams, and desires are not tangible. They're ideas, they're things that we want, some ideas that maybe came from our past. But when it comes down to it, if we learn how to lay down our desires, we may discover that we kind of desire the same thing together. But see, that transformation only takes place if you don't take your hopes, dreams, and desires to the other person first. That only happens if we take them to our Heavenly Father because He cares for us. So the great advice from last week, or not from last week, from two weeks ago, was don't let your desires become expectations. In other words, come to the point where you say, you know what, you don't owe me anything, but I owe you everything. 
this idea that marriage is a submission competition, a race to the back of the line. And last week, we had to learn where to toss our frustrations. Because to be honest, in any relationship, no matter how positive, exciting, and on point it is, sometimes you just have to throw things. But make sure you're throwing them to your heavenly Father. So today we're going to talk about what I think may possibly be the most important choice that you will ever make in a relationship. It makes this relationship to be more attractive. And if you make this choice, it makes you more attractive. And in a relationship, if you are making this choice, you can be guaranteed that they will stay attractive to you and you to them. The one thing that we know in all of our relationships that we have is that we have a choice. So today we're talking about making a choice that every person makes every single day. But to be honest, this choice that we make feels more like a reaction. But I want you to know that this is a choice that you are already making. And perhaps today I can help you make a better decision. Most people in life don't even feel like they have a choice, but they do. Great couples make what maybe we'll call the happy choice. And this choice is the one that makes all the difference. Now the answer to this happy choice comes from Paul. Now Paul, the apostle Paul, he, he wrote a good portion of what you see in your New Testament. Paul wrote to the first century church in Corinth. And this book, this book that we call 1 Corinthians was written to Gentile Christians. That, those are Christians who were not Jew by birth. They were people who were Gentiles. That means they, they were pagan, that they had worshiped pagan gods. They were new Christians trying to sort out this whole Christian thing because in their world, they had to understand a brand new way for them to worship because their worship didn't look like the worship that Paul was talking about. Pagan gods, they didn't care about people. Pagan gods toyed with people. They manipulated the people. There was no moral or no, no ethics in the pagan god scheme because you wouldn't do anything toward someone else to make the gods happy. You only did things towards the gods to make the gods happy. You made sacrifices. You sacrificed your most important things, your most treasured items. You sacrificed children for the sake of other children. You sacrificed all manner of things so that you could win a war. Pagan gods didn't care much at all about the people. But Paul said this. He said, listen, I know that this God I introduced to you is absolutely, completely different because this God that I'm telling you about, he cares for you. He cares about you. And in order to please this God, you have to actually treat people the way that he treats people. 
He says, you're to love the people around you. Plain and simple. For you to please this God, for you to worship this God, you are to love the people around you. Paul is saying that this is the number one manifestation of how much you love God. It's the number one manifestation of how much you love God and that you are doing what he called you to do. In the chapter that we're, that we're looking at, it's very popular. This chapter is, is probably one that, that you've heard more times than you can count. In fact, almost every single wedding you've gone to probably references this chapter. It may have been in your vows. You've at least quoted part of it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we call it the love chapter because of, well, the topic in that chapter. But what I want you to understand is what Paul is doing here. It really doesn't make it good wedding literature because this is a really gritty, a really in-your-face passage because most of it, well, most of it makes sense, but there's one part, there's one line in this passage that just doesn't make any sense. In this one line, that, this one line that we're going, going to look at is the secret. It's the secret to the decision or the choice that you make that happy couples make. And we're going to walk through the familiar parts of it, and we're going to camp out on that one line for a few minutes. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, listen, I, I, I know that in your former religion, in your former following of the gods, you thought that you could find your way closer to the gods by speaking their language by trying to speak the language of the gods or of angels. And he says, listen, even if you figured out how to tap into that special language, I want you to know that that language is not the main thing. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all the mysteries. Listen, Paul says, listen, hey, if, 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 I, could, if I could tell the future, if I could tell you everything that was going to happen in the way it was going to happen, if I could understand all of those things that make you scratch your head and not know what it is that you're reading or what it is that you're hearing or that mystery of God, if I could, if I could tell you all of those things, all the hard to explain, and if I had all the knowledge, if I had faith that could move mountains, but do not have love, I don't have anything. I have nothing. He says, listen, even if you're the smartest person in the room, even if you know everything there is to know, if you know how many chapters, verses, periods there are in the scriptures, even if you have all the knowledge, and when you walk in, people ask you about that knowledge. Even if you have faith that is so great, you could say to the, this mountain, move from here to there. Even if you had that great of faith. But if you don't have love, 
Paul says, I'm nothing. Even if I'm the smartest person in the room, even if I can answer all of your biblical questions, any question that you have, anything, if I don't have love, Paul says, I'm a nobody. And that's another great lesson for another day. Basically, listen, if knowledge, knowledge doesn't equal depth. If you want to meet somebody who is a deep Christian, who is a deeply spiritual Christian, knowledge is not the measure. Love is the measure. Paul continues, he says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, Listen, if I give every single thing, if I give every dime in my bank account, if I give all of the change that's in the cushions of my couch, and then I give my couch away, and then I give my house away, and then I give every possession that I have away, then after I do that, if I give my body over, give my body over so that I may boast. It says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love. I gain nothing. And in this moment, we come face to face with the reality that anybody who gives to get, gets nothing from God. If you give to get, you gain nothing. And in all of these sentences of this passage, Paul says, if you have love. What does that mean? What does it mean to have love? What is love? I don't know. I think most of us think it's just something that's on the inside, but Paul wanted to make it very, very clear clear. So clear that he went through a list. He said, love. Love is patient. Paul says, when I say I have love, that love is patient. That love puts someone else first. It's that back of the line thing once again. Paul says, love is kind. I like the word defers. Love defers to others. I defer to you. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love does not envy. It isn't jealous. It doesn't try to one-up you. It, it doesn't say, when, when you are more talented than me, when, you're, when you have better ability than I do, when you get more attention than I do, it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast. Love doesn't try to one-up you. It doesn't try to shut the other person down. It lets them shine. It allows them to take the center stage. Love doesn't envy, and love doesn't boast, and love is not proud. Love doesn't call attention to itself. Love 
does not dishonor others. Love determines if this dishonors you, I'm not going to do it. If this brings dishonor to you, it's off the table for me. Love is not self-seeking. There's that back of the line thing again. It's not easily angered. Love doesn't have a temper. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now that's a big one, right? Because none of us want to be in a relationship with someone who keeps a record of every wrong. No one wants that. No one wants to be in a relationship with someone who does that. Then he says something that's a little bit tricky. We're going to just kind of sail through it, and then we'll come back to it. How about that? Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Then he moves forward with a quick list. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, that's a good list. If we could figure out how to do just that list, our lives would be markedly different. Our relationships would be different. If we always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. But there's one item on that list that may actually bother you. And it doesn't make sense because that one thing on the list is not dependent on the lover. It's dependent on the lovey. It's this one. Love always trusts. That sounds just a little bit too naive, doesn't it? I know the life that I've walked through. I know the difficulties that I've endured. So to say that love always trusts, isn't that just a little pie in the sky? Isn't that just a little naive? That's not how the real world works here, right? Listen, I can go through and I can protect you even when you're wrong. I can defend you and talk about it with you later. I can hope for things to be better. And I can even push through hard things. But love defaults to trust. And that's a keystone for happy couples. In every relationship, in every single relationship, not just a dating relationship, not an engaged relationship, in every single relationship that you have. From time to time, there's a gap. There's a gap between what we expect. I expect that you're going to be home at 6 o'clock because remember we have that thing and that thing is going to happen and, and we really need to make sure that everything is ready. I promise that I'll be there to pick you up. Listen, we got to get the kids ready. Dinner has to be on the table. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it, I got it. I'll remember to tell them. Anyone have any of those things that you've been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it. Mm. So there's an expectation that you're going to follow through with this. And then there's the experience, right? I know me. 
good intention, not so consistent follow-through, right? And every time, there's a decision that we have to make between expectations and experience. There's this gap. And every time, there is this gap, and we have a choice that we have to make. And often, we don't actually realize that it's a choice because it feels like it's a response. Every time there's a gap, we choose what we put in that gap. So when things aren't lining up, when our expectation doesn't match the experience, we can choose to believe the best. Listen, I, I, I don't know why, I don't, I don't know why he's late. I, I know that there's probably a perfectly good reason. I don't know why she forgot that we had a budget. I don't. But I'm sure that there's a really good reason for that expense. I'm not sure what's going on here. But I'm sure once I have all the information, it's going to make sense. So we can believe the best. We can fill the gap with believing the best, or we can fill it with assuming the worst. Yep. He did it again. I don't know how many times I've told him, but there he went. He just went off and did it again. Yep, that's what usually happens. Yep, she said that one thing one, one more time. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, I mean, could we expect anything different? And in our relationships, that, that gap between our expectation and what we experience, when we insert the choice to assume the worst, we end up finding that it does something pretty, pretty significant. Happy couples choose to believe the best. So the great advice for today is believe the best because it's a choice. Every single time there's a gap, believe the best. In the moment where it doesn't make sense, where it doesn't feel like there's actually a good choice to be made, believe the best in every gap. When he's late, when the budget's blown, when they didn't call every single time, we make a choice to put out there that we will put in the gap that we believe the best about our spouse. Now, there was a study that was done over the course of 20 years. And this study uh, looked at couples in the United States and Europe and in Canada, and they, gra they grabbed these people and put them in the study. These were people that were admittedly happy couples. They enjoyed their life together. They, they had a good marriage, and they were generally just absolutely happy. And what they were doing in the study over the course of 20 years is that they were looking for a common theme. What is it? Is there something that we can boil it down to? Can we figure out how these couples, how these couples made it as long as they've made it? Because 20 years isn't anything to blink at, right? But these couples have made it a little bit longer than that, right? What makes a couple happy over the long haul? They've been together for a very long time and they still enjoyed being with each other. 
they weren't just sticking it out for the kids. They weren't in so much debt that they couldn't separate. They still had an enjoyable relationship. And so they asked them questions. And they asked these questions trying to kind of focus it down to a common denominator. What is it? What's the secret sauce to a good marriage? The assumption that they went into it was this. They assumed that over time, couples just kind of lower their expectations of one another, right? He's never going to get it. Bless his heart. They just assume that somehow only, the only way to be happy is to lower your expectations. They assume that if you downgrade your expectations of your partner's character, of their virtue, of their motive, that maybe somehow you'll figure out how to be more realistic. That you just lower your expectations and then you'll be satisfied in life. But here's what happened. The study showed the exact opposite. How did they know that? Well, they started asking questions. They separated the couples and they just asked them questions and asked them to rate themselves and to rate them spou- their spouses for each question. And every time they rated their spouses more positively than they rated themselves. In other words, they had an unrealistically positive view of their spouse. And this led to one summary from the study that love is blind. They were blind to the deficiencies in their spouse, to which all the men said amen, right? (laughs) They were blind to the deficiencies in their spouse, which created this, what they called an upward spiral of love. This positive illusion of their spouse created this upward spiral of love. The illusion that he's the greatest, that that she's the best, this illusion created this conviction that that was actually true. They believed it for so long. They actually really, really, really believed it. And that conviction led to security. Because my spouse is the greatest, I feel secure in my relationship. I feel secure in this marriage. I trust them. I absolutely trust them. And that security led to a high level of trust. And you know what security does? Security fosters intimacy. High trust always leads to intimacy. You say, listen, I trust all of me to you. I'm so secure and I trust you so much that I trust every bit of me, warts and all, to you. And I don't have to fear and I don't have to hold anything back. Do you know what the intimacy did? It fostered love. And the love underscored the illusion, which created more conviction, more security, more intimacy, and it just went up and up and up. So what was the recommendation then from the study? 
the recommendation was this. In the moments that you have a question, a doubt, something that you encounter, find the most generous explanation. When there's a gap, come up with the most generous explanation and believe it. Yes, there are obstacles to this. And we're going to discuss those in a minute, but don't miss the point. Every time there's a gap, every time there's a gap between your expectation and your experience, choose over and over and over to place believing the best in that gap. Because whichever way you go, it's a decision that you've made. It's a choice that you've made. You either believe the best or you assume the worst. And I don't want you to miss this as we wrap up the series. It's, it's, it's a choice. It's always been a choice. Like I said, there are a few obstacles, though. The first one is this, what we experience. You know this one. She did it again. Just like clockwork. But see, the other obstacle is this one, who we are. You didn't show up in the relationship with a clean slate. You didn't show up without baggage. You didn't show up without wounds. You didn't show up with your own box of hopes, dreams, and desires. You bring with you your history. And we all have certain triggers that cause certain responses. But even with all of your junk, even with all the stuff, even with all of their inconsistency, this is a choice that you make every single time. Now, listen, I, I, I've been doing ministry for a long time. And I'm going to dig at this just for a minute because I believe that suspicion is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you assume the worst about a person over and over and over again, you will find something. If you assume the worst, you will find something. You'll find something to be suspicious about. You'll find something that just doesn't look right, feel right. I got this feeling in my stomach kind of thing. Because when you're in a relationship with someone with low trust, you are on pins and needles. If you're in a relationship with somebody that has low trust for you, you are on pins and needles. You don't want to make a misstep. You don't want to do something that can be interpreted as wrong. You're in a relationship with somebody that's looking for you to do something that is wrong. So you're never at ease and you're always off balance. So you're going to be cautious. You're going to be controlled. And it's going to seem like you're up to something, even when you're not. If you have low trust because of the past, the things that you bring into the relationship sets the other person to do up the very thing that you feared. You set up the other person to do the very thing that you fear, that thing that you thought they would do but it was the thing they had no intention on doing in the first place. Low trust and suspicion in a relationship 
is almost always a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why. That's why you need to pay attention to who you are and not just what the other person is doing. So with all of this in mind, let's go back. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love is not trying to catch the other person doing something. It's not trying to catch them doing wrong. It's not trying to say, you said you'd do this. You always do that. Love does not keep record. It doesn't keep score. Instead, love always protects. Love always protects the relationship from suspicion. It always protects the the relationship from lack of trust. Love, love knows whatever I place in that gap, it's a choice. Love always trusts. Love believes all things. Love chooses a generous explanation. It thinks about it long enough to be generous. Love always hopes. Love always trends positive. Love always says, I'm not going to allow myself to go negative. Love always is realistic because love always perseveres. It endures through resistance. It endures through hard times. It endures through difficulty. There may be some things in the past that come roaring through, but love perseveres because love is determined to trust anyway. So here's the question. The question based on what you know about you, what you know about your past experiences, what you know about what you're bringing in to your future, do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? It's one of those introspective questions. Do you believe the best? Is your default best or is your default the worst? Which way do you go? Do you believe the best in the gap? Do you say, you know what? I know there's probably a really good explanation. Or do you say, they better have a really good explanation. But see, it's your choice every single time. So here's your objection. But... But you don't know what he, you don't know how she, right? It's still your choice. The other option, the other option, option B, this is option A. So option B, option B doesn't move the relationship forward. Option B says, listen, I'm going to delight in finding every mistake. Absolutely every mistake they make, I'm going to cheer every time I find it. I'm going to thrive on speculating, making sure that they know I got an eye on them. And I'm going to assume the absolute worst because they stink. And then I'm going to embrace 
every single doubt. <laughs> that is good marriage advice right there, isn't it? Could you imagine you're sitting there with your kids and, you, you know, your kid's about to get married and, you're, you know, maybe your, your son, your daughter, whatever, right before they walk down the aisle, you say, hey, listen, I got some advice for you. I have some really good marriage advice for you and um, you might want to write this down. In fact, I, I actually wrote it down for you, okay? Lay a trap, wait, and then eventually they're going to step in it. And then when they do, bam, you got them. And you say, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. That's some great advice, isn't it? No, that's, that's bad advice. Here's the advice that you should give your children. When there's a gap, believe the best. So here's a homework assignment for you. If you're, if you're a couple, here's an assignment for you. If you think this won't work, I want you to believe the best for a week. Be generous in your explanation. Choose to trust. Now, I'm going to pause that statement just for a second. If you're being trusted, be trustworthy. If you're given a shot to be out of the ire of mis handled trust, then handle it like a gift. Okay, believe the best for a week. Choose to trust because trust equals acceptance. When you trust me, you say you accept me. And our hearts, our hearts and our behavior is drawn towards trust. Hearts are drawn towards acceptance. Does that mean that you're not going to have difficult conversations? You are absolutely going to have difficult conversations. But you can get right back at it. Believe the best. Because happy couples know that believing the best is a choice. It's the happy choice. It's the one that even if it's the same thing over and over and over, you do it 10 times out of 10. On the 11th time, you say, still, I believe the best because it's a choice. So the great advice for this week to finish out the series is to believe the best because it's a choice that you make. Let's pray.